Super Bowl Sunday. Yay. Yeah, that's the whole thing. You know what? Being, uh, being from Cleveland, Super Bowl Sunday typically isn't a very big, uh, <laughs> isn't a very big thing as a Clevelander. But yeah, maybe someday. But uh, then again, maybe not. All right. This morning, I want to talk to you guys uh, about something you're probably not going to hear in very many churches. But this is Polaris, so that's probably not going to come as a big surprise. Um, and when I'm talking to you guys, it may sound as if I'm trying to talk you out of or convince you uh, to do something that I actually want you to do. So that sounds a little bit confusing, but I'll make sure it's not as we work through here. And here it is. If you are thinking about becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to think very carefully uh, about what you're saying you're going to do because um, you may not be willing to actually follow through with being a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, because when it comes to being a true follower, uh, Jesus uh, is, is asking more that you may be prepared to pay. And you should only begin to follow Jesus if you are willing to pay that price. And now, this is where I told you, it sounds like I'm discouraging, but I'm not. I, I hope and pray that you will become a follower of Jesus. And if you're already following Jesus, I hope that you continue to follow him wherever he may lead you. He wants to have that intimate relationship with us. Jesus wants to have that relationship. He wants us to follow him more than you could ever know. His love is that great for us. But we need to be honest, and we need to not take it lightly. To follow Jesus is also to walk the hardest path that you could ever take. So I'm up here on Sunday morning telling you about all these hard things. Pretty encouraging sermon so far, but you've got to stick with me. It is very hard. Um, he's going to lead you into places that you may not want to go and, and do things that you may not want to do. He's going to show you the truth about yourself, which sometimes can be scary. He'll push you to deal with some very ugly things in your life, and we all have some of those things. He'll demand more of you along the way than you thought you could ever possibly give. He is going to cause you to walk in a direction that is against the direction that everybody else is walking, and he's going to demand that you surrender everything to him. That's part of the cost. And he's not going to take a, a part-timer or a partial follower. Because Jesus, if you don't give him that complete commitment and that complete devotion, Jesus is not going to tolerate that. He does not want that. Because if you don't commit that much, then you're not following him at all. And as far as Jesus is concerned, it's not a commitment if that's not the one you're going to make. Jesus does not call us to be involved. He calls us to be committed. And those are two words that that are close to one another, but they're still vastly far apart. And I am going to give you uh, an illustration of the difference between committed and involved. Okay? And coolly enough, I get to reference Bacon in my sermon once again. So very excited about that. This, this illustration uh, is about a simple breakfast of bacon and eggs. Okay? And through this illustration, I will tell you the difference. Now, if you look at a, a plate of bacon and eggs... You got a couple of nice sunny side eggs on there. You got a three, four, 12, 30 strips of bacon on the other side of the plate, right? Now, in this particular scenario, the chicken is involved. Don't get ahead of me. He gave the eggs. The pig, on the other hand, he's committed. Okay? Is that, does that clear it up for you? Huge difference between the two. So, bacon reference once again. This works out real well. Now, it's, it's hard to be a follower of Jesus and to make that commitment. It's even more difficult than people realize. And that's why it's essential that before anyone decides to make that decision to follow Jesus and become one of his followers, they first must be made aware of what that cost is, to be committed and not just involved. And hopefully after the sermon today, you will know what I'm talking about when it means to be committed. Okay, so with that in mind, we're going to take a look at this morning's passage. It does come from the book of Matthew, as 
As Alex said, um, it is uh, chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. Um, if you guys don't have a Bible, we do have them at the entrance of the church, and if one of the Polaris regulars uh, would pass them out. If you guys need a Bible, raise your hand. I'd like you to follow along. Polaris likes you guys to be involved and immersed in the Bible. And to take it to the next level, if you don't have a Bible at home, you guys can keep the Bible, take one on your way out, keep you immersed in the Word, considered a gift from Polaris. So, Matthew 8, 18 through 22. And again, if you can follow along, hopefully you got some time to get there. Uh, but now, um, this passage, it speaks of a time in which Jesus was, he was really mixing it up with the people, all right? Um, he was performing all kinds of miracles. He's healing thousands of people. People were just looking to follow him. They wanted to be around him. And uh, performing all these miracles was a big thing. His popularity was sky high. And if you can just picture this, I picture this time when Jesus was out ministering and healing people and stuff, I, I picture it being just total chaos, kind of like Woodstock, all right? But maybe people are keeping their shirts on or there's not, not as much hippie lettuce going around at the time. But I picture it to be like, to be like Woodstock, just, just all kinds of fanfare and everybody wanting to be around Jesus. And, and, and they want to talk to him and they want to touch him and they just want to be part of his life. They want to invite him to dinner. And they're just, they just want so much a piece of Jesus. And you can see in all that fanfare and people wanting to be around him, you can see why he would want to just maybe take some time and get away, recharge himself. And at the end of the scripture, it'll say that he wants to get away for a little while. But just picture that in your head. And this is what's happening at this particular time. He was the, he was the BMOC, if you guys know what that is. Anybody help me out there? That was him, all right? That's, he was the man at the time. He was the talk of the town. He was the next new thing. And, and everybody wanted to be around him. And he was becoming so very popular. But you see, Jesus was not about being popular. That's not what he wanted. That wasn't his goal. The goal Jesus had was to create devoted disciples who would, who would follow him with complete devotion and commitment to him. And then these disciples were to go out and change the world in his name. That was Jesus' goal. But following Jesus is hard, like I mentioned before. And, and, and at times, we tend to make it easier to follow him than it really is. And yes, the act, the act of following, or the, the actually, uh, the, uh, this is what I'm looking for, Alex. The concept, thank you. The concept of following Jesus is simple. We need to accept that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, accept him as our personal Lord and Savior, and we devote our life to being like Jesus and following Jesus. And if I tell you that, you say, yeah, okay, that makes sense. That seems pretty simple. But the act of it itself is very hard. In fact, Jesus made following him and being one of his disciples seem to be one of the hardest things that you could do. And if you read the Bible, there are way more people in the Bible that actually walk away and decide not to follow Jesus after they hear how hard it is to follow him than the people that actually do follow Jesus. So it is a hard thing to do. It is a commitment we have to make, and we can't take it lightly. When it came to his followers, Jesus was not about the quantity of the followers. He was about the quality of his followers. And it is so true that Jesus, if Jesus had one man or one woman that gave 100% and were committed to him 100%, he can do more with those two people than if there were 100 men and women that are only 99% committed. Full commitment. And, and it's my prayer that here at Polaris that we would grow to be 100% committed followers of Jesus and not just Jesus groupies. That's my prayer for our church. If I could have slide one up there. All right, so we're going to go back to Matthew. This is Matthew 8, 18 through 22. And Matthew tells us, um, and this is great, by the way, whoever came up with that concept. Who was that? Marcus, you are the man. See, now when I say this, it looks like I can just recite scripture from the top of my head. So, <laughs> <laughs> shh. 
All right. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. That's where he wanted to get away because it was just total chaos. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. That's pretty, that's pretty powerful right there. When I think about that, uh, he, these two people are coming to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, we want to follow you. And you think Jesus would be excited about that. You think he'd be like, yeah, this is awesome. Come on, get aboard. The more the merrier. We're going to go out. We're going to change the world. But he doesn't do that. He, he shuns both these guys right away. Because he knows that they, are, they don't want to follow because of their commitment and devotion to him. Okay? They want to follow um, for their own personal comfort. That's what they're looking for. One doesn't, one does. So the first person to come to speak to Jesus is a scribe. And the scribe says to Jesus, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now there's something real important here. First of all, what's a scribe? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Here, here's what a scribe is. A scribe was a, was a religious man of the day. He was extremely uh, educated. He knew the Jewish law very well. He was a scholar. So this, this is important to what's going on here because it, it, it leads to where our, our uh, comparison comes in with him. And not only does it say that he was just a scribe, if you look at the scripture, it says he was a certain scribe. So he wasn't just a run-of-the-mill scribe. This guy was probably very popular among the people. And he probably had a little more power than maybe the other scribes had. Maybe he had a few more followers because of his popularity. And so if you think about that, if that were the case, and he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Don't you think that Jesus would be like, oh, this is great. I got this, I got this scribe that's going to follow me. Because certain people are already following the scribe. You've got all, all of his, his buddies, the intellectual leaders, and everybody that would follow the scribe would make sense that then they would follow Jesus if the scribe was then following Jesus. Kind of this pattern that I got going there. All right? And wouldn't it show that if Jesus could attract scholars and intellectual people that this would be awesome and this would be just a wonderful thing to add to Jesus' ministry if all these scholars and all these uh, leaders of the law and stuff would come and follow him? Wouldn't that be great? That was a question. Wouldn't that be great? wrong you would think it would you think jesus would be like this is awesome because i got all these people but you see that wasn't the case jesus wasn't impressed at all with this scribe coming to him and saying hey i want to follow you in fact what he replied to the scribe with actually is discouraging him from following me at all and it's it's evident he, he comes up to him and the scribe says teacher i will follow you wherever you go and jesus responds right to him foxes have holes Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So you've got to think, what is Jesus telling this guy? Because it's kind of confusing. But what is he telling the guy? He says that animals have a place to their head, but even me, and he calls himself the Son of Man in Scripture when he addresses them, they have a place to lay their head, but I don't. I am above the animals, yet I still don't have a place to lay my head. And so when, when you think about this, that he didn't have a place to lay his head... He had no such comforts. He didn't even have a place to lay that head at night. And, and the scribe had to be thinking, well, well what's going on with this? You're, you're a, you're, you, know, you could be a king. What's going on? So the scribe, being a scribe, would have known that, uh, and been very familiar with passages in Scripture about the Messiah, the Son of Man, who Jesus said that he was. And he would have known that Jesus could very well be this Messiah. Not for sure, but he very well could be. And he could be fulfilling all of those prophecies about the Son of Man and about the Messiah right before the scribe's very eyes. This could be the guy. 
And, and he would know more than more people uh, that the scripture promised uh, that the Messiah was going to inherit all the earthly kingdoms. And if that were the case and all these things would be taken care of, then it was a good idea that he follow this guy, Jesus. And if he did have all those thoughts, he definitely would have thought he was the Messiah and all the kingdoms of the world would be given to him. And knowing that, and that's what Jesus saw through, knowing that this is what the scribe was thinking, he, 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 he replied to him, he said, hey, the closer that I get to this guy, and this is what the scribe is thinking, the closer that I get to this guy, Jesus, the better in line I'm going to be to get all this earthly stuff with these kingdoms that are about to come. So knowing this, he says to the teacher, teacher, I know you. I know who you are. And I know the awesome things that you're going to receive. And I know what you're destined to be. So I will follow you wherever you go. That was the motive of the scribe. You see, the scribe wanted to be on the inside track to inherit the earthly kingdom and all the goods that would come with it. But when Jesus told the scribe that he didn't even have a place to lay his head, he was letting him know that the riches of the kingdom would not be realized until the sufferings and the trial of the cross were realized. And the scribe wanted to be on that fast track. He wanted the power. He wanted the riches. He wanted the prestige that would come from this. But this man had very untrue expectations of what would happen if he did follow Jesus. He expected he would soon receive that powerful position, maybe a glorious palace, and many of the comforts and treasures that come to somebody who's associated with the king. But Jesus was letting him know right out of the gate that following him would not lead to the worldly things that he expected. He let the scribe know that to follow Jesus was to take the hard path. Jesus was telling him, following me is not about a life of comfort and reward. It's about giving up your comforts and foregoing all those earthly rewards. So does anybody know what happened to this scribe? You guys are quiet today. Anybody know what happened to the scribe? You guys have read the scripture. What happened to the scribe? He died? <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> nice. We don't know what happened to the scribe because guess what? They don't write about him anymore. He's gone. So obviously he did not decide to follow Christ, another one of those would-be followers that decided to do something else. Okay, now before I talk about the second guy, I'm going to give you another illustration, okay, of how I think these two stories are correlated and, and, and how they, they work with one another. Suppose that we look at the, the, the spiritual walk uh, with Jesus and make it an actual physical walk that we have with Jesus and to follow him. And this calling requires that we put our first foot forward and place it where Jesus says to place it. And we have some ex expectations that the place that he calls us to place that foot is going to be a comfortable place, a place that we want to put our foot. And sometimes maybe we're maybe too eager to go ahead and dive into that and put that foot there. Because once we do that and we realize that we've, we've put our, our foot on an uncomfortable, uncomfortable path of suffering, we want to take that foot back. A lot of times we, we, we attempt to do certain things and we go, whoa, 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 I didn't sign on for that. That's not quite what I expected. So you're afraid to put that first foot out there. But you test the waters with it. And that's the, experiment, or that's the experience that the scribe had, uh, and he teaches us when, when he decided, you know what, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And then Jesus told him, no, this is a life. It's a hard path to take. And then the scribe says, whoa, 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 that's not for me. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow you, Jesus. And until we let go of our expectations of that worldly comfort and lift the first foot up to place it where he says to place it, we can't even begin to follow Jesus. Does that make sense? And they all said, yes! Wow, I know, who was up scrubbing floors? Where's Marcus? I know you're tired, but I think you, 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 you pushed it on to everybody else. Okay, so 
The first foot represents our involvement with Christ. Now let's look back to our involvement uh, illustration of the, of the bacon and eggs. So we're going to call our first foot the involvement foot, which is going to rep represent what? The chicken, right? So the chicken's involved. So your, your first foot you put forward, we're going to call that the chicken foot, okay? And the reason, we, the reason we call that the chicken foot is because it's the one, it, te it tests things out. You know, it kind of says hello to things. Like you, you're going out there, you're going, okay, I'm going to try this Bible study, and, and I'm going to get a little bit involved in that. But, yeah, okay, now I'm going to take it back a little bit. And then I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to go to small groups, and I'm going to try that for a little bit. And then I'm going to try street ministry for a little bit, and we dabble in different things. That's our chicken foot. That's the first foot we put out there, okay? So remember that part. Now we're going to think of the second foot. And, by the way, this will be my, my favorite foot because of its name. This is the second foot. And that's the one that's still behind us, and we leave it back there. And even though we've begun to follow Jesus with that first foot, that second foot just, just kind of hangs around back there. It's waiting to be lifted. But in order to lift that foot and move forward, we have to be willing to separate ourselves from the things uh, that hold it in place. Now, here's crowd participation. What are some things that hold our bacon foot in place? What are some things? Come on, shout it out. What, what, what holds you back from following Christ? Pride. What else? Fear? Bacon? That doesn't... No, that, that bacon's a... That's a godsend right there. No, it would hold us back. We have power. We have pride. We have money. We have prestige. Doubt. We have family. All these things hold that bacon foot in place, and we don't want to pick it up, so we're dabbling out there with this chicken foot, but we're afraid to let go of everything that's holding us back. And those are all earthly things that hold us back. And in order for us to lift that foot up and move it, to pick up that bacon foot and take that full step into faith, we have to leave some of those things that make us comfortable. We have to leave the things that hold us in place. And that's very, very difficult for us to give up those things. I love things. I do. I love things. I love my baseball cards. I love my hunting stuff. All that stuff. I love my family. I love my friends. I like work sometimes. Um, but those things hold us back, and until we're ready to, to pick up that foot, we cannot move forward, okay? So that is our bacon foot. That's the one that says goodbye to the places and commitments that we know very well and we're very comfortable with. And if we're willing to go forward to places that Jesus calls us toward, but we are not willing to make a complete break from the things that hold us, uh, that, that he calls us from, then we've got another problem. And this is the second problem of the scripture. And that's what the second disciple teaches us and what he has to talk to him about. So, the second disciple, he comes to Jesus and he says, I will follow you, but, and that's the big thing, but, I will follow you, but, first, let me go bury my father. And Jesus tells him, and this is great, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Think about how, how straightforward that comment is to this guy. There's no beating around a bush with Jesus. He lays it on the line straightforward and just tells him it just like that. And it sounds, to me, it sounds a bit cold and callous, right? I mean, what's wrong with this guy saying, hey, Jesus, um, my father's sick. I just want to take care of him or he's dead. I got to bury him. Then I will follow you. I got some things I got to take care of. It doesn't sound that bad. So why does Jesus just smack this guy in the back of the head so hard right out of the gate when he says, hey, let me go bury my father and I'll catch up with you? I mean, is it too much to ask to go bury your father? Now, in my readings, I, I found a couple different uh, analogies of this, a couple different thoughts. The first one is, the guy's father isn't dead yet. He's ill, but he may die. So this guy wants to hang around, and he wants to make sure that there's a proper burial for his dad. Okay, that makes sense. The second one suggests that this guy's dad isn't sick at all. This guy's dad may be up in years, but he's not sick. But what this guy's afraid of is if he follows Jesus and leaves, maybe the last four or five years, six years of his father's life, He's not around his dad. 
And who's going to be around his dad? All of his siblings. And then what happens to the fortune and the inheritance out of sight, out of mind? He doesn't want to give that up. I'm not going to leave my dad, man. If, if, if he dies, I don't get the stuff that I should get. I don't get mine. Either way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the story much. So what's the problem? What is the problem with what this guy says to Jesus? You see, the problem is this second guy, this second dis disciple, he wants to follow Jesus on his own timetable. He's saying, Lord, I want to follow you, but you know what? Right now is not a real good time. It's not a good time for me. He was saying when it's comfortable, I will leave what I have. I'll pick up that bacon foot and I'll follow you. But right now, it's not comfortable for me right now. I got some things to take care of with my family. Once all that's in order and my house is in order and everything is good, then, then I'm going to follow you. But you see, the kingdom doesn't work that way. It isn't something that can wait for a more convenient or a more comfortable time for you to make that happen. Now, there's the old prophets uh, in the Bible. You take Moses. Do you think Moses was comfortable when Jesus called him, when God called him and said, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt? How comfortable was Moses with that? Moses couldn't speak well. He was not a people person. He wasn't comfortable with doing that. But God said, you are going to lead my people. And then my favorite. You guys know the story of Jonah? Just, you'll, you'll pick up by the time the sermon's over with, you'll pick up on this. The story of Jonah. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, and he said, go get those people to repent and get right with God. Jonah wasn't comfortable with it. So what happened to Jonah? Jonah goes on a boat, hides in the bottom of the boat, travels the opposite direction of Nineveh, and then, which had to be real comfortable, under, you know, under, under the deck, and then gets thrown into the ocean, another comfortable thing, in the middle of a storm, and then gets sucked up by a fish, and just stays in the belly of the fish, and the fish swims all the way back over to Nineveh, and spits Jonah back out and says, okay, now get those people to repent. How much do you think God was concerned about the comfort of Jonah or of Moses? So through the Old Testament prophets, we know that God is not concerned about our comfort. And, and you may think that you are blessed, and, and Polaris is blessed. We've got these comfy seats with the, with the armrest and the cup holders, and we've got pastries, and we've got donuts and coffee and hot chocolate. We've got a baptistry that's, that's warm most of the time, all right? <laughs> Last time I was in there, it definitely wasn't. Um, but we have that baptistry. We don't have to go to the lake next to Panini's in the middle of February and break the ice to baptize people. So we think that we're blessed with that. And you've got a good job, and you've got food, and you've got clothes, and you've got a good family, and you say, I'm blessed. But using that thought process, does that mean that the third world church over there that's just a lean-to with some benches and, 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 a, and a, uh, a dirt floor is not blessed? Does it mean that the pastor of that church, and you were in a third world country, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, does it mean that that pastor does not, is not blessed? This guy may not even know where his next meal is coming from. He may face persecution from where he's at for preaching the word. But does that mean he's not blessed? Of course it doesn't. Blessings don't always come in the form of comfort, though we tend to expect them to be that way. And I wonder, I wonder how we would react. What if Polaris was a church that met five miles deep in the woods around a campfire with no shelter on us? How many people would attend that church? If Christianity was not comfortable for us, how many of us would follow Christ? And we are very comfortable here, I would have to say. We often want to be comfortable and have things go our way. And then we wonder why we can't be comfortable all the time. When we should wonder why we're comfortable at all. And shouldn't all the discomfort in the world, all the discomfort we could experience, shouldn't that be worth our salvation and quite possibly the salvation of somebody else? I say yes, it is. 
And you know how you've heard it said, and, and everybody knows this saying, that if something's too good to be true, it usually is. There's one exception to that rule. And that exception uh, is God's promise to us. His deal, his covenant, his promise of eternal life. His perfection and our imperfection. His commitment and our wavering and his selflessness and our selfishness. The question shouldn't be, why are we not comfortable? The question should be, why am I allowed the slightest bit of comfort at all? And I think all of us at times, all of us at times are guilty of being what we'll call comfortable Christians. We don't want to do anything that takes us out of our comfort zone. We might take some risks now and again. Yes, we do that, but we don't do it often enough. And for some, this might mean that we need to swallow our pride and get baptized. And this can be very humbling because that's, that's, telling, that's telling everybody, hey, I can't do this life thing on my own. I need help. It's giving up control, and it can be very uncomfortable. But it is commanded, and I am very sure that Jesus is not going to change his mind on that. So maybe we need to step away from our egos and our comfort zones and step into a spirit of humility. And maybe for you, it means that you need to set a better example. I mean, people are watching what you do on a daily basis. And if you claim to be a Christian and people know this about you, how are you acting? How are you talking? People want to see if this is real or if it's just some sort of Christian flag that you fly. You walk the walk, but do you talk the talk? Is it the entire package? Are you a true Christian? Are you a follower? And, some of this, uh, and for some of you, that means that, that uh, you need to be Christ to your family. For some of us, it means that we need to walk across the plant, our office. Um, you need to be at home and you need to approach a, a family member and plant a seed uh, about Jesus Christ. I know a lot of people in here will say, but I'm not comfortable with that. It's not me. I can't, I can't just walk up to somebody and start talking about Jesus. That's just not me. I've been talking for 15 minutes now about how God is not concerned about your comfort. It's not about you. God wants you to be that messenger. He wants you to spread that seed. And the one big hitter as I started preparing for this, and I think about it, about comfort, and this one should hit home with you because it hit, it hit home big time with me. I am absolutely positive that Jesus was not comfortable on the cross. If there's anybody that was the most uncomfortable that had been here, it's Jesus. So maybe we, we shouldn't be so worried about our comfort. Now, the thing you've got to ask is, Jesus is, God's a loving God, Jesus is a loving guy. Is he against comfort? Of course he's not against comfort. Heaven is overflowing with comfort. But the reason why he had no place to lay his head when he was here on earth was that there was no time to get comfortable. No time to settle in. He had a job to do, and his personal comfort just got in his way. We are not meant to be comfortable here because we're not at home here. We're not supposed to be here. This is not our final place. And you guys ever notice when you're away from home how uncomfortable you are? Right? You go to a hotel, you get to the hotel, and you walk in. Oh, the bed's on the wrong side of the room. The, the, the alarm clock's on the wrong side of the bed. It's too bright. It's too dim. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too light. It's too dark. You don't get comfortable there. And there was one person in this, in this church right now that is the most uncomfortable away from home person in the world. And she is right in front of me right here. My wife, my wife is the most uncomfortable away from home person in the world. If she could sleep in a hazmat suit when we went to the hotel, she would. This is not a joke. It, you get to the hotel, first of all, you can't touch the comforter. You guys all know that, right? That is, that is taboo. It's like tongs on the comforter. You throw it off the bed. You kick it in the corner. Nobody wants to touch that thing, all right? Tracy, you can, you can attest to that as well. And then, and then my wife does this just bizarre thing when we sleep. When we sleep at home, not to get too crazy, um, but we snuggle. You know, we get to touch. We get in a hotel room. 
and she will get in the upper right-hand corner of the bed in this little fetal position, and, and the blanket's like barely touching her, and then I have to take my T-shirt and slide it over her pillow so her head doesn't touch the pillow when she lays it down, okay? That's how uncomfortable she is when we, get, when we go to a place that's not our home, okay? That's, but that's the, whole, that's the reason we're not comfortable here. It's not our home, okay? The time is coming when, when we will be unbelievably comfortable, and we are called home. And that's the place where comfort is. And I love all the scriptures that talk about the comfort that waits for us in heaven. If I could have the second slide up there. I can't obviously tell you all of them because there's just a plethora in the Bible. But for the book of Revelations, there's three I want to share with you. Revelation 7:16 says, Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. It's awesome. My favorite one right here, Revelation 21:4 says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Think about that scripture right there. What are the things that bother you when you're here on earth? They make you sad. But it's telling us right there, God's word, that he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. That means no more crying, no more death, no more mourning, no more pain. How comfortable is that? And in Revelation 22, 5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. The day is coming. We don't know when, but it is coming. When we can look ahead, but there's work to be done now. We have work to do in the name of Jesus Christ. For even Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, did not come to serve, but to be, to, did not come to be served, but to serve. He did not come to be honored or bowed, bowed down to. He came to serve others, to lift up the fallen, to heal the unclean, to restore the broken, to love the sinner and hate the sin. Jesus was not concerned about his own comfort. He was concerned about ours. And maybe we should emulate his life and, not, and be more concerned about the comfort of others rather than our own. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. And I hope it can be said of me and hopefully said of all of you one day that we did not come to be served but that we came seeking to serve others.